Truett's first piece of advice to me was also his last piece of advice to me over a span of 29 years. His first thing that he ever taught me were people decisions are the most important decisions an organization makes. And that's why my second book is called Bet on Talent, because that's what we did at Chick-fil-A. Lots of organizations bet on technology or marketing or location or lots of strategy. But at Chick-fil-A, we bet on talent because if you got the right people, you can, all those other decisions were going to be right too. But you had to start with the right talent. Friends, thank you so much for coming back to another episode of the Relationship Business Podcast. I am so excited about today's episode with uh, Deanne Turner. We've already had a little bit of time of fellowship this morning, and I, I think we're really um, going to get into something special, and I feel like you're going to be blessed um, with the conversation today. Uh, Deanne is a three-time best-selling author. Um, just to name a few, it's, it's my pleasure, The Impact of Extraordinary Talent and Compelling Culture bet on talent, how to create a remarkable culture and win the hearts of customers and crush your career, ace the interview, land a job and launch your future. She's an acclaimed keynote speaker, a 33 year veteran of Chick-fil-A. Um, and prior to retirement, she was the VP of talent and sustainability. She was the company's first female officer back in 2001. Um, she's been instrumental in shaping the culture and the talent systems there. Um, she worked closely with founder Truett Cathy, which I can only imagine how special um, that was. Um, today, she leads her or own organization, writing books and speaking to over 50 audiences per year. She's been married for 38 years, uh, and together they have um, three grown sons. Um, and I'm just super blessed, one, that you would uh, be up for being on the podcast today, but just given something that's so precious in your time. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Kenny, I'm thrilled to be here, and it really is my pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much. I have to, just a moment, I am like, I don't know what the top um, uh, level is, but I think my wife and I are Chick-fil-A platinum members for the next like four years on our app. So I feel like I should get something special for being, <laughs> being in the top category. So. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank and I, I appreciate your uh, what you've contributed to my own career by being such a faithful Chick-fil-A customer. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I worked there for a few years back in high school, was the Cal for a few times too. So I, uh, I definitely am in the alumni. Um, so that's great. But Hey, Kenny, I'll tell you a secret. I'll tell you a secret since you mentioned that you, you were at the Cal a few times. It's my <laughs> okay. favorite thing to do. I used to love to go to grand openings and I would beg them to let me be the Cal. Uh, because as you can imagine in my role, you know, sometimes it was just really serious and very professional. And when I was the yeah. cow, I could be totally uninhibited. Kids loved me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think, well, one, none of the stores are open right now, but I haven't seen the cow in, in a long time. Uh, but I remember, I remember this kind of the same feeling too. I, I, I used to be more introverted in my uh, high school days, but I remember when I put the suit on, I was I felt like I could be anything that I wanted to be. So I was automatically a great dancer. And um, the only thing is when I would wear it in summertime and stand by the road, I, I basically was just covered in, in sweat by the time I got out of that thing. Yes, so. I, I, I did a grand opening in Panama City, Florida one time and had that experience. Oh so I know what you're talking about. I can't even imagine that. So, but it was it was great. Um, but I, I've had uh, truly a pleasure getting to talk to you this morning. Um, but I'd love just to hear from your perspective a little bit about your story. I always like to go back and and uh, just hear, you know, what was it like as a child? Um, what were some of your aspirations and dreams that you had then, and how did it translate to where you're at now? But just walk us through a little bit of your story and and you know how you've uh, come to the place where you're at today. Well, I guess the most important thing about where I am today when I look back and think about my childhood was from the time I was eight years old, I wanted to be a writer. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was I was keeping a little diary every night at my little writing desk in my bedroom. And I, I wrote poetry. And the older I got, the more of that I did. I went to high school and I, I wrote a 
novel as part of an unpublished novel as part of an independent study project. And then I wrote lyrics for a Christian band when I was in high school and uh, wow. became editor in chief of my high school newspaper, which uh, really set me on a path to study journalism. And I, at that point in my life, I saw myself not only being a writer, but being in full-time Christian service. And so I went mm. to Cincinnati Bible College and studied journalism. I met my husband there and we got married. And after we got married, I needed to find a job because he was a pastor and we weren't going to make it on his income. And so um, coming out of college, I really didn't have an opportunity to be a writer at that point. There were a couple of things. One is I didn't have the life experience anybody wanted to read about. And jobs were really scarce. Sure. It was in the middle of a recession. And um, so I went the advertising route like a lot of journalism majors do. I took those talents into that. And I worked for a short time in an advertising firm. And then uh, my husband, he was a pastor at a church, and we needed to move closer to the location where he was. And as I tell this story from the very beginning, you know, what I love about looking back is you see how God's ordered your steps. And uh, mm. Sometimes when you're 25, which is my audience these days because of my book, Crush Your Career, you know, you can't see all this. But the exciting thing is there will come a day if you live long enough, you can look back and go, oh, oh, that was this. And this was a pivotal mm. moment, a defining moment, some people call it in my life. And um, so I started looking at opportunities where I could uh, work close. We could move closer where he was serving. I could work nearby. And he suggested I apply at Chick-fil-A. And it was right down, his church was right down the street from the, uh, what was then called corporate headquarters, now called the sports center. And I um, I knew of Chick-fil-A, I grew up eating Chick-fil-A, uh, but I never, I didn't know anything about the organization. And so I applied and two weeks later, they sent me a letter that said, thanks, but no thanks. We don't have anything that meet, meets your background and experience. Of course, I was applying for something in marketing or advertising. And I told him, I said, well, that's that. I applied, they turned me down. Um, that's not going to work out. He said, not so fast. Go back and apply again. So I did. And two weeks later, I got a similar letter. And then I was intrigued. I mean, I was all of 21 years old. I was like, wait a minute, why are they turning me down? You know. Um, <laughs> and so I began to study this organization and learn about their culture. And I really wanted to be a part of it. So I kept calling them because, of course, there was no email back in those days. And so writing letters, sending updated resumes, and I continued to call them and pester them a little bit about an opportunity. One day, my husband is sitting in his office at the church and a lady comes in and she has a flat tire. and She has to use the phone to call her husband because, again, no cell phones at that time. And so he said, oh, you don't need to do that. I'll change it for you. So he went out and changed the tire. And afterwards, she gave him a card for a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. And he said, oh, do you work at Chick-fil-A? And she said, well, I do, but I've resigned because my husband's being relocated. And he said, what department do you work in? She said, advertising. He ushered okay. her out of the church. He went to the phone. He called me. I hung up. I called them. I said, I hear you have a position in advertising, and I'd like to interview for it. Well, I think they were just tired of me at this point. And <laughs> they thought, well, let's go ahead and bring her in for an interview. And I interviewed for months. And I got into my final interview with the person who was then the vice president of human resources. And he said, they're going to offer you this job in advertising, but I also have a job in human resources. I think you'd be a good fit for. And so why don't you think about it and let me know this was on a Friday. Let me know on Monday, which job you're interested in. So I call him back on Monday over the weekend. I thought about, it and I decided that, you know, this HR stuff sounded really interesting and the people there were really nice and uh, I think I would be interested in working in HR. And I'd do that a couple of years. And then I'd move back to marketing because I'd know where all the jobs are. So I went to work mm -hmm. in HR. And um, again, pivotal moments that happen in your life when somebody else sees something in you that you don't see in yourself, it's a good thing to listen to it. But I, yeah. I pursued that career, never ended up back in marketing um, and um, retired without having, uh, after 30 three years without ever having worked in the marketing department. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, I love to just, uh, you know, I, I love the, the, the reflection back on these moments that yeah, if, if you're at the age of 25 or around that age, you, you don't really see the impact it's going to have on your life. It's just that, you know, it's, it wasn't by chance, but that, you know, that lady that 
broke down or had a flat tire like a, it just it wasn't an accident and how pivotal that was you know to to your career and your persistence of going after chick-fil-a so it's an amazing story i uh, i feel the same way it's like you just watch those pieces come together and it's really amazing what god does well we live uh in a world that's changing constantly some things you know are are unique in a way and then some things um are really positive change. I think um, just the focus on uh, women in leadership has has headed in the right direction. And I'm, I'm really excited to see like how, how that movement's happened over really the last 10 years. But um, you were named the first female officer at Chick-fil-A back in 2001, I believe. And um, that was probably even before the season where there was a lot of shifting towards that direction. I would just love to hear um, one, how important of a milestone this was for Chick-fil-A as a company, but just what this meant to you um, in your life and in your career. Well, first, I was incredibly surprised and uh, because I, it wasn't something I was expecting at that point. And, but I had a mentor and sponsor and champion in the, in the person who was at the time uh, the president of Chick-fil-A, Jimmy Collins. And he'd really taken me under his wing no pun intended being in the chicken business, but under his wing um, <laughs> from very early in my career and taught me a tremendous amount about people selection, about making good people decisions, about its importance in the organization. And so Jimmy really championed me for that. And you know, I share that with a lot of young women who are trying to make their way through organizations, especially ones that, that are full of male leaders. It's like those are going to be that those are the relationships you know, sometimes we think if we're a female, well, we got to find another female leader to coach and mentor us. And that can be a good thing. Um, but at the same sure. time, don't forget about all those guys because they're the ones that are going to help you uh, break into those opportunities. If, if that's the kind of organization you're in. Now, organizations today are so much more diverse. What I'm saying is not as relative in a lot of cases. But at that time, as you mm -hmm. pointed out, it was it was indeed um very different. And women were just breaking into some of those uh, positions in a lot of organizations. So um, that's the first thing is just remembering who helps you get there, um, whoever they right. are. As far as, so first it was a surprise. And secondly, it was an enormous responsibility mm. because when you're the first at anything, you're paving a path for others. Yeah. And I, I, Naturally, one of my, uh, if, you, if you ever do strengths finders, one of my strengths is responsibility, my top five. And that's what I felt. I felt responsibility. It's like, okay, first of all, don't mess up. And secondly, you've got to make sure some others get here too. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's really, that became what I did was um, to be sure I did a great job. So no one would look back and say that was a mistake. And then secondly, that I was bringing others along with me. And so mentoring others um, to understand to help them understand how to navigate that became a big part of my role and as far as Chick-fil-A was concerned you know the next year they added another one and then you know today yeah. um, lots of women throughout their leadership ranks so um, it's it's fun for me sometimes just to look back and go wow I can't believe how much things have changed uh, when I went to Chick-fil-A yeah. in 1985 they didn't even have a woman leading people at all there was a female manager in accounting yeah. and she managed money and so to watch that transformation and um, and all credit to Chick-fil-A because they really bought in yeah. uh, to helping people grow and develop and have those opportunities. Mm. That's amazing. Um, speaking of leadership, I, I know that you uh, had a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one time with Truett Cathy, which I'm sure you could talk about that for hours and talk about stories, but um, that's quite a, a thing to say. Um, I know true Kathy is, is uh, highly regarded by a lot of people. Um, but specifically, I'd love to know um, what you learned from true Kathy in regards to relationships. You know, Truett's first um, piece of advice to me was also his last piece of advice to me over a span of 29 years because he died four years before I retired. His first thing that he ever taught me were people decisions are the most important decisions an organization makes. And that's why my second book is called Bet on Talent, because that's what we did at Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. Lots of organizations bet on um, 
technology or marketing or location or lots or strategy. But at Chick-fil-A, we bet on talent because if you got the right people, you can all those other decisions were going to be right too. But you had to start mm-hmm. with the right talent. And so that's the first thing you taught me. People decisions are the most important decisions that we make. Interestingly, it was also the last thing he said to me. And uh, shortly, he was out of the business a year before he passed away. And in my last meetings with him, I, you know, I think Truett knew what was going to happen even long before we did. And I would go over to meet with him. And, um, you know, the, I, like I said, this is 28 years into it. And I sat down with him one month and he said, now, Deanne, I want you to remember people decisions are the most important decisions we make here. And I stopped for a moment because I thought, has he lost confidence in me? I mean, I've worked with him for 28 years. Doesn't he remember I know this? Or maybe it was him. Maybe he's not remembering things. That's what I was thinking at the time. The second month I went back, we had our little meeting, whatever it was we had to discuss. And he said, now, Dean, don't forget, people decisions are the most important decisions that we make. I'm still a little confused about what Truett's doing. Finally, the third meeting, the third month I caught on. And what he was doing was making sure at 91, two years old, however he was at the time, he was making sure that the people in his business remembered the most important principles that he wanted them to know so that it would continue. And so that's what I share today, even as I have the opportunity to teach Chick-fil-A franchisees and their team members. I I teach them what Truett taught me, which is people decisions are the most important decisions that you make. Yeah. That's one thing that I've always... Uh, really loved and respected about the company, and I, I think that's the one of the probably the biggest reason why there's you know a mile long line outside of every single one of them at all times of the day. But it's it's the the quality and the character of those individuals that have been hired, and and you can tell that there was not only thought that went into hiring each one of those um, individuals, but that those individuals also have a love for people too, and it, and um, just to hear of what true it was replicating and saying, Hey, like, even when I'm gone, just don't forget the main purpose and that's people. Um, so I love, thank you for sharing that. I know it's a probably a really, um, special memory for you, but I really appreciate you sharing that with us today. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of relationships, do you think relationship building is important in the professional uh, setting with staff and with customers? Well, it's all about relationships, you know, Another lesson from Truett, we're not in the restaurant business, we're in the people business. And I work mm-hmm. with a lot of different organizations now, you know, from uh, from a from a large dental franchise across the country to all kinds of restaurants. Uh, and I, I hear that phrase again and again, and I can remember when nobody said that, but Truett, but that's true. Whatever business you're in, you're not in that business, you're in the people business. And growing relationships mm-hmm. with both your team members and your customers is the most important thing that you're going to do if you're going to have um, a successful organization. I talk sometimes about an experience I had as a customer um, a few years ago, and it's too long of a story to do on a podcast, but I'll shorten it for you here. But I um, went, I, it was a rental car company that, you know, as many years as I've been traveling, I have all these loyalty relationships, mm-hmm. supposedly. And so I did business with this one rental car company and uh, long story short, but they sent me away in a car with a faulty tire. And um, when I came back, um, and again, it's a long story about the conversations that took place, but the whole, the whole time my expectation was, is I was a loyal customer. They're going to take care of me. They're going to, I'm not going to have any issues around this. And the, they couldn't have been less caring to me. And finally, I show up with a car with a faulty tire. And she said, well, you're going to have to pay for that tire because you didn't take the insurance and you need to fill out this form. And I was expecting they were going to fall all over themselves to give me an upgrade or whatever. And that didn't happen at all. And I compared it to an experience that my husband and I had years and years ago. We went to Hawaii and we were all on um, points, you know, from all my loyalty, for all my traveling. So this was a free rental mm-hmm. car. And they didn't have our car available. And again, it's a long story. And I think I even write about it and bet on talent and read the whole story there. But long story of why our car wasn't available. And they fell over themselves. They took us to uh, a luau we were scheduled for and came back and picked us up. Mm-hmm. And when we got back, um, 
they had their car ready and the car was a brand new Ford Mustang convertible uh, there in Hawaii. What a great place to get it. And we had a free economy car reserved. And when I look back at those two yeah. experiences, here's what the point I wanted to make to you. The most interesting thing is it was the same company. So how could, how could you have such a different experience at one company, at one location and another location? Well, it's because the difference between a poor customer experience and an amazing customer experience is simply one employee who cares about the customer. One employee mm. who's interested in building a relationship with the customer. Wow. So when you ask about relationships, I don't care what business you're in. I think that's the most important thing is, in fact, I again, in Crush Your Career, I spend the whole chapter talking about how do you grow relationships so that you can yeah. be more effective in your role. Well, people ask me all the time, what do I do for a living? I just tell them I'm in the relationship business. And that's that's kind of how we got to where we're at today. It's just I'm, I'm, I'm so believe in, in those quality relationships that you make with every single person. This is a good segue too, because you talk about it's the same company, but it's the difference of, of just one person and having two different experiences. So uh, I, I've already talked about there's a reason why at Chick-fil-A there's, there's been continuous growth throughout the years. Uh, the food's amazing, uh, obviously. Um, but I, I feel that the company really thrives on making every person feel loved, seen, heard, cared for, respected, valued. And this is a company that sells chicken. Um, but you played a huge role in building this culture. So when we talk about the difference in the same company, uh, one that was great, one that was horrible, how has uh, Chick-fil-A and under your leadership been able to replicate these things year after year, location from location? Um, what's the secret? Well, first, Kenny, I have to say, you know, I played some role in that, but we're talking about lots of people and I play mm -hmm. no role in that today because I'm not there. But um, let me tell you what I think this, the, the formula is. And that's the bet on talent formula that I wrote about. You start with this remarkable culture. And when I talk about a remarkable culture, I'm not talking about activities. Sometimes all those things are part of the culture, the perks and activities and, and things. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about the real heart of it. So it's first, it's a meaningful purpose. At Chick-fil-A, that purpose is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and a positive influence of all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And mm. um, the reason I that works is because you are hard-pressed to find anybody in that support center or a franchisee that doesn't know what that purpose is. And so um, mm. it's not just something that's written in bronze and put on a granite slab in front of the support center of Chick-fil-A. It's something that's written in the hearts of the people who work there. So they really know what that purpose is. The second part of Remarkable Culture is a challenging mission. You gotta have a goal that people are going after, that they rally around that's exciting to them. And um, at Chick-fil-A, when I was there, I think that um, they may have a different goal now or a different mission. Um, it, it was be remarkable, be remarkable in uh, products and, and service and experiences. And the third thing is demonstrated core values. And you know, core values are more than just a list of words on a screensaver. They're the way people actually behave and act out the beliefs that they hold most dear in the organization. So when I left Chick-fil-A, the core values there, and they fit right into what you were talking about just a moment ago about these relationships, but we're here to serve. We're better together. We uh, are purpose-driven, and we pursue what's next. And you know what those are, and that dictates the behaviors of how people um, are um, react and how they um, serve everyone. And so then right. once you have this remarkable culture, the second thing you have to have um, to get the result that you're talking about is extraordinary talent. And I believe that, that the heart, um, the linchpin of this whole thing for Chick-fil-A is that extraordinary talent and specifically the franchisees. Uh, Chick-fil-A puts more effort or at least did during my time there in terms of people decisions on franchisee selection than anything else, because you have to have the right leader in the restaurant to select the right talent yeah. serving the customer and train them how to do that well. So Chick-fil-A mm. has been a master at franchisee selection, and that has a lot to do with it. Mm. And then the third piece of this is um, that teach your talent how to create amazing customer uh, experiences 
through guiding principles, not just creating a bunch of rules, but actually having principles like make second mile second nature. So instead of telling somebody, hey, go carry the umbrella over the customer, that might be a suggested behavior that's been demonstrated, but the principle is make second mile second nature. And so your team member who thrives on principles instead of rules, you have to select those people, figure out, oh, what would I want in this situation? Well, I'd want somebody to hold the mm. door open for me with this large order or maybe carry it to the car for me or maybe change my tire out in the parking lot or they have a dead battery. Maybe they'd like a, a nice sweet tea while I'm, cha- while I'm jumping off the dead battery for them. It causes them to create those. When you do all that together, that's how you win the hearts of your customers. Yeah. And that's how you get those high retention rates and you get those high customer service scores. Mm. I remember this is just one probably of many uh, situations of Chick-fil-A, but I waited in line. I had ordered food for, I have a, quite a large family now. We have three kids. Our our, our cost at Chick-fil-A is going up, but I'm still there uh, because we love it. Um, Even my my two-year-old girl, she she says uh, chicken fries. Uh, Anytime we pass by Chick-fil-A, she's like chicken fries, but. Uh, I remember going through getting food for my family and um, realizing that like right when I'm pulling up that I left my wallet at home, which was about 15 minutes away. And some of these individuals knew like they seen me enough to know that I'm there often. Uh, and then some didn't know me at all, but they uh, completely understood. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to go home. I'll be back. And they're just like, no. Like we, we understand uh, this happens. Um, this one's on us today. And it was probably a good, you know, $30, $35 order that's, you know, not cheap. Um, so those little things just make me uh, and many others just want to come back because it's it's more about just the the transaction. It's about the heart. And I, I love everything that you said. It's, it's about the heart. So um, speaking of talent, you can't go anywhere today without seeing a help wanted sign. It's, it's probably... Um, it, I've never seen it like this. I've been around 36 years now, but I've never seen the demand for talent. Um, usually it's the opposite. It's like limited jobs, but now that's like, we need you now. Um, so talking about extraordinary talent, I, I know that you helped. And as you said, so appropriately, it was you along with other great leaders, but, um, you guys, uh, had a 95% retention rate, uh, in the corporate and franchise setting. And so in this season where labor seems almost absent, how can companies not only stand out, but actually build stronger bonds with their current or future team members? Yeah, so I have to tell you, and I have about 20 more years um, experience than you do, Kenny, and I've never seen it like this either. I've seen three cycles of major labor shortages during my career, and this has been the worst. Um, And the circumstances are so unique. The pandemic, of course, made it even more unique. The numbers weren't in our favor to start with, um, but then this this pandemic situation has made it worse. And so a lot of people say, what do I do in this situation? I said, well, where we are today, you're probably going to have to survive. You're just going to have to survive. I'd like to wave a magic wand and say, oh, well, just go out, do this and this and this. And that's probably not going to work. But while you're surviving, there's some things you need to do because Um, If I've seen it three times in my career, then this is a cycle that will repeat itself. It might not look exactly like it does this time, but I'm pretty sure you'll be in this situation again if you're in business long enough. So you want to start right now seeing that you're not in this situation in the future. And so how do you do that? Well, you go back to that formula you just talked about. You start working on your culture. It has to be a culture that attracts great talent. Yeah. Um, Secondly, you start working on, okay, when when times are different and I can upgrade my talent, then I need to do so. I need to attract talent that will attract other talent because people like to work around great people, right? That you're going to have relationships with them. So you want to focus on, um, you know, I talk a lot about this, but the three C's, the character, competency, and chemistry of the talent that you select. Um, right now, there are three things that, this generation of talent, and I'm really talking about younger millennials or millennials and Gen Zers that are that are making up the the young part of the workforce right now. There are three things they want, and you can work on this today to attract talent and keep the talent you have. The first is they want 
to be a part of a remarkable culture. Um, so you go back to, again, people start doing weird stuff like it's all about the parties or it's all about something. It's like, no, they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, which happens to be the number two thing. So they want to work in an organization that has a great purpose that they can actually be a part of, not just, mm -hmm. you know, that no, they're it, so if it's around impacting others lives, they want the chance to actually impact the lives. Let's use the example Chick-fil-A. So Chick-fil-A, for instance, gives away millions and millions of dollars of scholarships every year. Well, those team members have that opportunity to recognize. I mean, for one thing, they get to participate in receiving some of those, but um, they see where that money goes to and how lives are impacted. Um, on a local level, their Chick-fil-A franchisees give them opportunities to participate in serving their community, whether it's working at a food bank or um, being involved in a fun run that benefits other people, but they allow them to be a part of that, something bigger than themselves. So that's one and two, remarkable culture, being part of something bigger than yourself. And then lastly, they want opportunities to grow and develop. And so that takes time, effort, energy, focus from the leader. But if you're not giving them opportunities to grow their skills, it's not just about changing their job title. It's about growing their skill set. Right. It's about having more interesting work to do. But sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, if you could, even though that's what I just said is really challenging, think about this. If you're trying to focus on 15 different things to find great talent or to keep your great talent, step back and go, okay, I can't do 15 things at one time, especially when I don't have enough help to begin with. If you yeah. want to focus on three things that will make a difference with your talent, those are the three things. Remarkable culture, uh, be about something bigger than themselves, and growth in uh, skills and development. I'm over here taking notes as a, as a business leader <laughs> myself. That's so, so good. Um, well, you speak often. I know you get to speak a lot, but um, you speak often about helping people find their vocational callings. And I, and I just I spoke about this actually this week. Just sometimes uh, searching for our calling, our purpose feels like a lifelong journey. Um, but how do you how do you feel like people can um, without just seeing one day pass after another without having that um, understanding of their purpose? How can one uh, find their purpose or vocational calling? Um, and how did you find your own vocational calling after thirty three years of serving Chick Fil A? Because now you're you've transitioned um, post retirement into a, a new season for yourself. Well, when you asked me. I think the very first question was, tell me about your story. I left myself at about 25 years old on purpose uh, because I thought we might circle back to mm -hmm. this idea um, because it's, it's come full circle for me. So it, at the time, if you remember, I said that I thought my call was going to be to go into full-time Christian service. And I was working at Chick-fil-A. I was in human resources and I was really a little down on myself because I felt like I was not doing what I was called to do. I was going to be a writer. I was going to be in full-time Christian service. I wasn't doing either of those things at the time. And then I came to realize that my calling was to help other people find their calling, to help them put that puzzle together. And that was a ministry in and of itself on a full-time basis every single day, because I didn't just select talent. I really put the puzzle, the puzzle pieces together, finding just the right person to fit into this role and when they didn't fit, when it didn't work, it didn't always end there. Sometimes I was redirecting people on a totally different path. It might have been a different path within our organization or another organization. But yeah. that was really my calling. And it's still my calling today, Kenny. That's still the work I'm doing. I'm just doing it outside of an organization. Um, I'm still helping people discover what that calling is and uh, directing them. So. Uh, one of the ways that I talk to people about finding their calling is, is this. Um, first of all, you've got to, what really stirs your soul? What gets you yeah. up in the morning? You know, um, what do you, uh, you can't stop thinking about? And these are all good things to write down, by the way, as you're experiencing them. What is it that mm -hmm. I can't, um, what do other people tell you you do best? Remember back when I said, you know, somebody saw something in me I didn't see in myself? Well, yeah. ask those other influencers in your, in your life. What do you see in me? Because you might be missing it all together. They might see something in you that you don't see in yourself. By the way, take inventory of what you don't want to do. I don't mm -hmm. like this and I don't do this well. Push that aside. Um, 
One of my favorite questions to ask myself is, when do I feel God's pleasure? And for mm. me, um, that was when I was writing books that people wanted to read. When I had speaking engagements where people wrote back and said, that really encouraged me. Or, I saw that in a different light. Or, that was a great insight for me. Um, I felt God's pleasure during those times. And I especially felt his pleasure when I could match up the right talent to the right role and literally watch people's lives change. You know, a, a franchise with Chick-fil-A is a life-changing opportunity. And I've had mm. to do that thousands of times while I was there. So um, I, I, that's how I found my calling. And that's how I really encourage others um, to take a look at that. But to, to really take inventory of what it is you want and you don't want, be sure you have people speaking into your life that know you and see things you don't see. Mm -hmm. And take account of what are the things that, when do you feel God's pleasure? Because if you're doing those things, that's when you're going to be happiest and more. Familiar. Yeah. Really powerful stuff. Um, so just a couple more questions, but I would love uh, to just get your advice for those listening um, who desire to build better connection with others. And that can, you know, uh, being in the relationship business that, that stretches across, you know, personal connections, whether it's family, spouse, children, the professional, which can be leading a team, having customers, and then and then your influence in the world, um, whether it's a small group or, you know, we we have the opportunity now with the internet and social media to have uh, impact on a, a great big world. So uh, for those that really desire to build better connections, what would be your advice? And then some just some practical, practical steps that they could take to do these things. So this was a personal lesson for me. Um, because I didn't do this very well. And I could, I could give you a bunch of these, Kenny, you know, where I had to stop and recognize something I wasn't doing well in my leadership along my career. And I read a really transformational book and actually ha had the opportunity to share the stage with him later, Stephen M. R. Covey's book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And mm -hmm. habit number yeah. five changed my leadership, and it's this. Seek first to understand and then be understood. Seek first to understand and then be understood. How many times do we go into our interactions with people trying to be sure we're understood, trying to get our point of mm -hmm. view out first, trying to tell yeah. somebody? And the, the people who are truly great at making connections with people listen first. And they listen yeah. with their whole heart. They ask clarifying questions. They don't go into a conversation predisposed to a certain opinion. They really listen to understand. Then the second part of that's really important. Though. That doesn't mean you walk away and you don't be sure that you're understood. Seek first to understand and then be understood. So once you have listened, well, first of all, I think you're going to give a bet much better response because you've listened with an open mind and an open heart without any predisposition. And right. then to say, okay, well, here's, here's what I think about this. 9.9 .9 times out of 10, because you've sought first to understand that other person is going to listen to what you have to say. And you're going to build that connection. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. I don't like to give a whole lecture on the kind of question that you ask. It's like, if you can make one habit change, it can transform your relationships. And for me as a leader, when I learned to do that better, it transformed. The other day, it's interesting, I have a new client and a consulting client. And he wanted me to do executive coaching with one of his new executives. And that's what he said to me. He said, you're the best listener. Well, he had no idea what mm. that meant to me. And I told him, I said, yeah. well, that's not always been the case. <laughs> and so, um, you know, you can do things that haven't been your strengths. You can transform them. You can become better at it. And my only regret is that I didn't do it earlier in my career because there's some other people that um, I hope things turned out okay for them, but I would have been a much better leader if I'd done that um, earlier. Yeah. I think um, life has a way of, being the best educator at life and time and experience. Right. And, um, I even look at my, my own relationship with my wife, you know, we, two individuals that merge together and we know marriage to be something where you come together to become one. 
Uh, and that can be harder, harder to do than, than saying it. But I, I remember, you know, I come from a background of having certain beliefs for my family. She did too. And there were some times when, you know, I, I was, like you said, just uh, being fully transparent where I did, I didn't seek first to listen and then be understood. I was wanting to be understood and then hope that she would listen. But I, I even in the last uh, couple of years, you know, I've tried to be more intentional about um, listening and just getting different perspective. And I found that the more more that I've done that, um, you know, there's really valid points. <laughs> I was like, you got a great point. I don't know why I've, I've always thought about it that way. And just to see the growth that has come in our marriage uh, from doing that, it's just been really sweet. So uh, I, I love that uh, application. Um, and that's a great book. Um, and I love that you shared that. So Hey, uh, Jenny, just, when, when they're teenagers, when your children, your three children are teenagers, you're really going to need this skill. So go ahead and brush up on it now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, my two, two-year-old daughter, I tell you, she's two going on 16. It's no joke. So I've got to start as soon as possible. So uh, I'd love for you to talk about uh, your latest book um, and then just also what's next. I, I love that even uh, after working 33 years in a, a really um, amazing organization that you still um, are busy about your calling and your purpose. But yeah, talk about your latest book and then just what's on the horizon for you going forward. Sure. Well, book that came out last March is Crush Your Career, Ace the Interview, Land the Job and Launch Your Future. And uh, the great thing about this book, I have to tell the story behind it. Uh, so I was under contract with uh, Baker Publishing to write bet on talent and then a book to be named. So when it became time for me to get started on the book to be named, we debated quite a bit what that book would be. And they wanted me to write this book about how to find a job, keep a job and grow your career. And by the way, the audience was going to be 20 to 35 year olds. And I said, Hey, 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 wait a minute. They don't read books. And by the way, um, they don't have any problem finding jobs. Like, my uh, then, let's see, my middle son was, I guess, 22, 23 years old at the time. He'd been in his job six months, and I can't tell you how many recruiters had already called him about moving to another one. And I was like, they don't need yeah. this book. And I did not want to write this book. <laughs> but I decided to be obedient. Now, you'll find this interesting mm -hmm. about when the first draft of that book was submitted. March 20th, 2020. And the mm -hmm. world changed. And all of a sudden, yes, that was going to be a really important book for that age group. And not so much the book, because I still don't know how much they read, but the e-course that's in process from that and the, the messages that I'm able to give and the um, virtual uh, speaking engagements, the campus visits I'm making, all of those things, uh, we're talking about this. And so that, But what I love about the book is it's the life cycle of work. It starts mm -hmm. from part-time jobs, and I end up talking about because if you want to retire well, then at 25, you need to be thinking about that. So I yeah. even talk about that in the book. And um, but I've really enjoyed it because it's put all my life. I've talked to leaders and uh, bet on talent was to teach leaders how to find and keep extraordinary talent and crush your careers. How to is written um, for talent and to teach mm -hmm. them how to be extraordinary. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the flip side of that. And so I'm enjoying both of those audiences right now. And the biggest shift, though, is to be spend so much time on college campuses. And one of my favorite roles right now, I'm a, uh, uh, what do they call those? Uh, uh, expert in residence, a talent expert in residence mm -hmm. at High Point University. And I am enjoying that role so much being on campus. And, um, you know, those young people are really engaged and uh, I get to work with their business fellows, which is a terrific group of young people. But I've enjoyed that experience. Um, so what's next for me? The wonderful thing about 2022 is it's the first time in five years I've not been on a writing deadline. Um, so mm -hmm. or six years. So I, I'm I'm kind of excited about that. It's um, it's like this this writing time has been chapter two, if you will. And now I'm moving into chapter three. And um, so I'm doing more consulting, actually. And I'm enjoying that, just mm. helping organizations grow their culture. Culture, when I was doing the work I was doing at Chick-fil-A, we were one of the only ones doing it. Now everybody's doing culture work. And they recognize yeah. the need to have a strong culture. So I'm working with a number of organizations, helping them grow a healthy culture, helping them put in the talent systems to select extraordinary talent. And I'm doing some really fun coaching. 
um, at all age levels. Um, some younger people who are just starting out and some experienced executives who are trying to get to the next level. And um, so that's that's as much as God's told, told me yet about the calling in this season. I have some writing goals that I want, but I don't know that they're going to come right now. Uh, that might right. be a little later on. I have to tell you, a sweet moment for me was, it's probably been about a year ago, as, as God was putting just the focus on relationship into my heart. It's always been there, but just wanting to share that with others and the importance of it. I remember going to Amazon saying, I wonder if there's a book out there that that talks about that principle uh, with Chick-fil-A. Because uh, I think I had bought a book uh, on the Disney, like um, uh, Be Our Guest. I, re- I read that book too. And I was like, I gotta, there's got to be a book on this similar thing for Chick-fil-A. And I purchased your book. I read your book. I loved it. And then here I am um, just asking uh, around like who would be some great guests. And then I, we, we get you booked and I'm realizing, wait, like I read her book. Like it was, it was the coolest like full circle thing. So oh, I just had to share that. It was, it was a, an amazing book and uh, I'm looking forward to, to cracking open uh, the other two that you've written too. So, um, and thank you for being a good steward to what God's calling you. Cause those things that you write in the past are still changing lives today. So um, two more things. Um, you're kind of talking about being in chapter three and your life's looking a little bit different. But one thing when we jumped on the call today was that you, for the most part, every single month, you're taking a good bit of time to rest. Um, I, I, there's been seasons in my life where, you know, I've been pretty overheated to the point where, uh, if I didn't rest, something bad, you know, could have possibly happened. Um, but you talk about just the importance of rest and what it's done for your life. So if you could just talk a little bit about that and, and, um, how fruitful it's been in this season for you. Well, sure. Well, I think that we have, of course, different seasons and I keep telling my, the young men in my life, this is your season to work hard. (laughs) Um, I really push them a lot, but to learn lots of things and to work really hard because you're establishing yourselves and you also don't have all the responsibilities yet that you'll have later. So I'm always sure. pushing them. It's like, this is, this is the time to go for it. Um, but in this season of life and after, you know, decades of working far more than 40 hours a week, I just determined that this would be about a different, different time in life. One of those things is taking better care of myself. And I told you that in Crush Your Career, I actually write a little chapter on that to those young people about start from the beginning. And I wish yeah. that I had done that better during my corporate career, but I didn't, I didn't make that a priority. I didn't make the time for it that I needed to. Now I I took better care of myself as much as I could. You know, I often talk about that. I I started the first hour of the day um, in reflection and prayer and Bible reading and exercise and those things way back when, but it still wasn't, it still wasn't enough. And um, for running ragged, I should have taken more rest than I did. So what we were talking about is if my schedule allows um, what I try to do in this season is take a week off and that, I mean, I'm spending more time with my husband during that week. We're doing some travel. Sometimes that gives me creative um, rest and it, it, it's not like I'm just hanging out around the house that week. Usually it's, it's to do something, you know, specific with that week. We're doing a lot of hiking, biking, um, outdoor national parks, that kind of thing, um, and enjoying that. But I think that that leads to better creativity for me to take that time down, totally. give my brain a little bit of a rest. The other thing that I'm doing so much of that I never did, even though I was often encouraged to, is reading a lot more fiction. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you're a business person, you're always reading the latest, greatest business book. And um, sure. I ha- this is uh, January. We're, we're recording this at the, near the end of January. And I hate to admit it, I've not read a business book in 2022 yet. Um, I'm sure that I will soon. But it's been um, it's just been kind of fun to dig into some of that um, fiction world as well. Yeah, I love it. Just honestly, give your brain a a break and something new uh, to consume. So uh, this is a bit of a rapid fire question. Uh, I don't know how many you've been to, but what's what's been your favorite national park so far? It's hard to pick. Oh, it's so hard. I can't. Hard I, I have to. Um, Acadia <laughs> National Park in Maine, and then mm-hmm. Glacier National Park is where we were this past summer. And I, it's okay. hard to pick between those two. Glacier. I guess I have to pick Glacier though. It's just unbelievable. It's it's a beautiful place and lots to do there. 
Yeah. Have you been to Yosemite yet? Um, it's one that we have not been to yet, but it's on the okay. list. I'll ask you that question again. I, I hear Glacier is pretty up there, but when you go to Yosemite, well, I'll ask you again and, and see, what, <laughs> see okay. what your answer is. That's been my favorite so far. It's it's amazing. So, well, uh, last question. Um, one, I just say that just in our short time together, I've been uh, really blessed by the conversation. I'm taking notes over here that I know will be very applicable to my own life uh, and the people that uh, surround me. Um, but for those that uh, feel connected to you, even maybe um, interested in having you as a guest uh, in speaking or even consulting or helping out their organization, what's the best way to stay connected to you uh, going forward? Sure. My website is deanturner.com, D-E-E-A-N-N-Turner.com. Great place to connect with me. Also connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my Facebook page is Deanne Turner Author. Instagram at Deanne Turner and Twitter at Deanne Turner. So any of those places uh, are great. Um, you can find out about my books all on my website, different places to order those from. Um, I had my own podcast, Kenny, when I released Crush Your Career. So all of those segments are on there as well. Pretty interesting guests to, to listen to. Um, so I would love to connect with your listeners through any of awesome. those channels. Well, I know they'll be blessed as I have been today. And, Again, I think time is one of the most precious gifts that you can give. And the fact that you would give us uh, an hour of your time today is is really just a, a treasure. And I just want to thank you for being on today. Oh, completely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Me too. And then for everybody listening, just know that, that you're loved. I hope that the conversation today with Deanne uh, touches your heart in a way that it's touched mine. Uh, I hope you have a great day and we love you guys so much. 